Great. Thanks, uh, Liz, very much indeed. We're in our series, Seven Vital Signs, called Vital Signs, thinking about the seven signs of life that are true for us physically and also are true for us uh, spiritually. Jesus so often pointed to the physical world uh, uh, to help us understand the way the spiritual world works. So as we look at earthly life and the way earthly life grows and uh, biology, uh, living organisms exist, it helps us understand uh, the way that we spiritually or in kingdom terms might live and grow. Jesus would often say, look at the seeds because it tells you something about your kingdom life. Look at the way the vineyard grows because it tells you something about the kingdom life. Look at the way uh, that tree bears fruit because it tells you something uh, about your kingdom life. So that's what we're in together. And uh, this morning we're looking at uh, reproduction. It seems strangely appropriate uh, today. And uh, um, all living things are designed with the capacity to reproduce. That's the way God made things to be. It was God's intention that the way life would grow and change and develop would always be movemental. In other words... Adam and Eve would have children who in turn would have children and you start off with two and you'd end up with four, six, eight and you'd multiply, not just additionally in fact, but exponentially. So exponential or movemental growth has always been part of the way God has created the world to be and seven billion people on planet earth is a constant reminder of that. It's a physical reality, but it's also a kingdom reality. And even though Jesus was a single unmarried man, the highest priority of his ministry, arguably, was reproduction. Jesus was focused on reproducing, reproducing himself in others who would go on then in turn to reproduce themselves into others also. The first thing that Jesus said when uh, almost the first words, the first action that is recorded of Jesus in the Gospels is when he walks along and he sees a couple of fishermen and he says to them, come follow me, come follow me. And those words in that culture and in that context are packed with meaning. In the same way that today we can say certain words and they have a whole kind of history and an association attached to them. When Jesus said to those disciples, come follow me, he was saying words that every boy had always wanted to hear. In that culture, uh, as, a, as a boy, you would grow up wanting to be not a train driver, but to be a Jewish rabbi. That was the pinnacle of achievement, the pinnacle of being part of the social standing in the culture. And all of your education was geared towards one day becoming a rabbi. And so in your early years, you would learn a lot of the Old Testament uh, scriptures. And uh, memorizing them, in fact, the whole of the, 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 the Old Testament eventually you would have uh, to memory which, of course, we've all done anyway, um, so we're 
off the starting blocks. But, but every now and again, you, th- those that weren't going to make it, those that weren't going to be good enough to become a rabbi would leave that whole process and they would usually take up their father's business, fisherman, uh, carpenter, whatever it might be. And then those that looked like they might make it would carry on. And what they needed in order to become a rabbi was for an existing rabbi to say to them, come follow me. Come follow me. And when a rabbi said to you, come follow me, that rabbi was saying, I believe you've got what it takes to become like me. I believe you can learn what I've learned, you can do what I do, in fact, you can be who I am. So when Jesus said to those first guys by the lake who were fishermen, come follow me, Jesus was saying to them, look, I believe that you can do what I do. I believe you can learn what I've learnt. In fact, I believe you can be who I am. That's why immediately they left their nets and followed him. Because it was more than a dream come true. That Jesus himself should say, I believe you can do what I do. And I believe you can be who I am. And he said that to all of us. When every one of us here heard that call from Jesus, come follow me, Jesus effectively was saying to us, and still is, I believe, that's Jesus, I believe that you can do what I do. Isn't that amazing? Is that absolutely amazing? I believe you can be who I am. That's the call that Jesus has placed on our lives. And before we go any further this morning, full of our doubts, our insecurities, our imperfections, our regrets, our failures, our disappointments, all the heap of stuff that makes up our lives. Jesus believes that we can become who he is. It's an amazing thing. Which is exactly why, towards the end of the journey that Jesus had with those disciples. So, so perhaps two and a half, maybe up to three years later, Jesus says in John chapter 14, if you believe in me, you will do what I have been doing. That wasn't a new idea. It wasn't a shock. It was what had been true and implicit right from the beginning. Jesus is taking them right back. Remember, I've called you as my disciples. I know I'm about to leave and the disciples were getting panicked. He said, remember what this is all about. If you believe in me, you will do what I have been doing. And then in fact, he goes on and says, you will do even greater things than these. This is John chapter 14 and verse, um, oh, I don't know, about 21. You could see it on the screen if we had one. Uh, 
and, and then just to kind of drive the point home as if somehow we might miss it along the way, Jesus, when he comes back to life, uh, on the third day, the resurrection, he, he, he bursts into a locked room where the disciples are, and he, he breathes peace on them, which was kind of him, because they were well scared. And he says, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. That wasn't a new idea, or a shock, or a surprise. That's what this whole thing had been about. That's why a rabbi invests in his disciples that the disciples might continue on where the rabbi leaves off. And so Jesus was totally committed to reproducing his life into these 12 men that they would go on and do the same and reproduce themselves into perhaps 72, just to pick a number out of the blue that we read about in the scriptures, and then so on and so forth. So, some reproducing principles. Because if we're called to follow Jesus, then what was important to him uh, must be important to us. Firstly, you can't reproduce what you don't have. Freely you've received, freely give. You can't reproduce, you can't pass on something that you haven't got which is a shot across the bow of preachers and teachers, because preachers and teachers can waffle on a lot about things that they might not have true in their experience. But actually, you can't disciple anyone that way, ultimately. You can only pass on what you actually have. So if you want your small group or missional community to be on fire... If you want your marriage to be on fire, or for your family to be on fire, it will only happen if... Who's on fire? If you're on fire. If you want your family to love Jesus and worship Him, it'll only happen if you're loving Jesus and worshipping Him. It's obvious, really, isn't it? But maybe it just needs... uh, We need reminding of it from time to time. The danger is, of course with our lack of self-belief and our lack of self-confidence, is that we might be thinking, well, I don't really have anything that I could pass on. I don't really have anything that I could reproduce in somebody else. That is an absolute contradiction to what Jesus has said when he said to you, come follow me. Can you see that? Jesus says, look, you can be like me. You've got everything to pass on. Turn to the person next to you and say, actually, you've got loads to pass on. No, I mean it. Really, really loads. Keep going. I really mean it. Loads and loads and loads to pass on. And so principle number one, you can't reproduce what you don't have. Principle number two must be that you must reproduce what you do have. You must reproduce what you do have. This kingdom principle, Jesus talked about a lot. He talked about lots of parables to do with talents. And what were, you, what were you to do with a talent? It doesn't matter which story you pick. The basic thrust of the kingdom principle is the same. Talents are to be, begins with M. Multiplied. Multiplied. See, when I grew up, I thought that it was a really, really harsh reality for the guy who dug a hole and put it in the ground. I thought, fair play. 
least he's looking after what he'd been given. I didn't think that was too bad. And so I thought when the master was so cross with him, I thought that was a bit unfair, to tell you the truth. And in my youthful arrogance, I thought I, perhaps I'll rewrite that parable for Jesus to help it make more sense to the modern reader. And then suddenly I saw it. If you don't multiply what you've got, it's over, isn't it? It's dead. It's finished. It might not as well not be there. Forget about saying it's in the ground over there. It's useless in the ground over there. If we do not multiply, if we do not reproduce, we die. So when it says, that poor chap, I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. And, and you, can, you can sense the fear that he had. So it's important in church life then, what we celebrate. You see, if things are to be multiplied, then what we celebrate is really important. I think that predominantly in, a, in church culture over the last sweep of time, that we celebrate the mega-servant. So we pull a lot of prize on someone who's done a job for a long time. George has been our church secretary for about six million years. And that's fantastic. Frida has run the sisterhood for 49 years. And that's brilliant. And these things are fantastic. And they are brilliant. But often at the end, they leave a huge vacuum. And you end up in a scenario where people are always looking back to that period of the mega-servant. Oh, church secretary was way better in their day. Or the sisterhood used to be run by Frieda, and it was fantastic then. And it's 30 years later, and we're still bellyaching about it. And, and, and the, reason, the, the reason is, is that we, we've encouraged people in our church culture to do the job, and we've affirmed them in the job, absolutely correct in doing that, but we haven't really talked about the need to reproduce in the job. And so we celebrate the person who's done it for 40 years, probably with more voice and celebration than we celebrate someone perhaps who did it for eight years but then developed two or three other people who went on to lead other groups like that. And uh, Do you see where I'm going? Uh, and so we need to be really careful about what we celebrate. And of course, it's true for us. It took me a long while in ministry to get the hang of this. Confession time, it's good for the soul. Good job I've hung around for a while, or I might never have sussed it. That what I needed to do was to reproduce the ministry in others. I thought you'd paid me to do the ministry. That's what I thought. How daft was I? And then one day I woke up. I can tell you almost the day that I woke up. It was one of those, it was just a normal weekend, really. It was a, uh, in the season where I did almost everything. Don't feel sorry for me. It's just what I did. I didn't feel bad about it. Saturday night, I'd go back to my sermon to make sure it was ready for the Sunday morning. Then at about 12 midnight, I would prepare the PowerPoint slides that then probably took a couple of hours that would take me through to 2 a.m. 
Then I'd get up about six just to make sure the whole sermon and the service and everything was ready. Then I came to church, and on this particular morning, it was fantastic because I led the service, I led a dedication, I did the intercessory prayers, I did communion, I did the notices, the offertory prayer as well, and I preached the sermon. But the brilliant thing about it, and you go, what's that ministers have been doing that for years? Absolutely, of course we have. And what I preached on was this. Every member should play their part. <laughs> what an absolute load of rubbish. Not what I was preaching, but the way I was behaving. I was the problem, not the solution. Can you see? We, we were reinforcing something that we were saying isn't the truth, isn't what we want to be about. And that's why different people do lots of different things. It's why we have a whole prayer ministry team, a whole pastoral team, a whole load of people doing administrative tasks, loads of people involved in uh, as as many things as we can um, possibly find. But it is a challenge, isn't it? Changing like this. Let me talk about preaching. Preaching is the one area over the years that I haven't successfully achieved it yet. There's lots of other areas too, but it's a notable area. And, and you'll notice that my mind shift has changed in recent years, and there are more people taking part, more people sharing a sermon, more people having a go at a sermon. And, and, and what do we say when that happens? Oh, I don't like that. Don't like it when Simon's not doing it paying for anyway isn't that that his job to do that he can't even be bothered doing the sermon anymore do you know what doing a sermon myself is way easier than helping somebody else a million times easier but somehow can you understand we've got to push through that because maybe one day I'll have to go to the hole in the ground I'll say here here's the preaching thing you gave me Lord and and I well, just offering it to you back because I haven't multiplied it out. That would be a sad moment for me and in a sense for all of us. So there are challenges along the way about what we celebrate, what we encourage, what we push forward, even though it's costly, even though on times we don't like it, even though it's despairing, isn't it? Jesus said to those disciples, oh my word, how long have I got to be with you? I just want to get rid of you all and get another lot because you're hopeless. That's what the message says, I think, kind of idea about what Jesus was saying. You know, you can see the frustration, because it's not easy. But it's the life to which we're, to which we're called. So maybe if we were going to have plaques in church, which we're definitely not going to do, by the way, maybe we should have this person did and they reproduced 6, 10, 12, 20, 30 people who can now do it. That would be something that we really should celebrate. And we need to find ways to capture that in our life together and get hold of it. Third principle, if you're writing notes, so one of you. um, A living example is just perfect. We're thinking about reproducing principles. Third principle, a living example is just perfect. You see, the problem that we all face when we want to someone to... um, uh, uh, when we want to reproduce something in someone else is that we become acutely aware of our own imperfections. And when Paul said, the Apostle Paul that is, imitate me, I thought, what a cheeky what's it. What a stuck up, arrogant what's it. Who does he think he is saying to them, we want everybody to imitate 
Jesus. So pull sharp and get out of the way. And then another eureka moment in my journey. That when actually, unless there is a living example that people can touch and see and speak to and connect with and understand, they'll never be able to imitate the example that they cannot see. So your example, with all its glorious imperfections, is just perfect, in inverted commas, for the task of reproducing. Can it be better? Sure, but understand what I'm saying. You see, following is a way of life that is imitated. It's something that's being adopted. It's like apprenticeship rather than classroom. It needs, it needs living example. It needs to be worked out. It's not simply just teaching someone a set of things. It's getting down with them and doing it with them and alongside them. And because of that, reproducing requires, uh, point four of principles of reproducing, a close proximity. You have to get close to people. You can only reproduce something in someone else if you are close to them. That's why Jesus, in the end, only chose 12. Why didn't he choose hundreds? Couldn't he preach very well? Was his teaching not good enough that he could have hundreds of disciples? No. It's nothing to do with the quality of his communication at that level. Because at that level, you can't disciple people, at least not effectively. And Jesus, the master discipler, chose 12. So if I was you, I'd go for less than 12, top tip. And even though he chose 12, one of them betrayed him to his face. How awful is that? Close proximity, drawing people in close. You wouldn't think of raising hundreds of children because you knew you wouldn't be able to influence them. So you invest, fifth principle, in a few. Twelve was his max. And then sixthly, uh, principle of reproducing, it takes time. It takes time. Jesus was uh, on times uh, exasperated, wasn't he? How much longer will I be with you? This is taking longer than I want it to. Hurry up. Get the plot. Um, because soon I'm going to be gone. There was a sense of urgency about it, but a recognition that it creates time. And you'll know that as parents, won't you? You've got a, let's say, should we say, a 15-year-old young man in your house, just to pick someone at random. Could be anyone. And you're thinking, you're thinking, I need to turn that into a fully functioning adult. I have three years to go. Even though we've had 18 years, you think, how on earth? And so there's an urgency about it and a recognition that it takes a long time. That said, I couldn't be more prouder of Joel and and the person that he's turning into. Okay, I dissed him, so I need to correct and, and name the truth. What I just said is absolutely true. So there's, there's like, it takes a long time, a lot of investment, but it's also, you know, it also, um, there's an urgency about it because we, we need the whole thing to, to, to move on. The whole thing's moving towards an end. So how do you do it? Think, thought about reproducing um, principles. Let's think for a moment then about a reproducing pattern. If we've all got something in us that we can reproduce, then if Jesus is right, and I guess he is, that we can all do what he did, then surely 
it must be possible for every single one of us to reproduce what we have in our lives with others. Wouldn't you agree? It's all right, I'll do this by myself, don't worry. Thank you, Jane. Give Jane a round of applause. At least she helped. The rest of you just laughed. So, is there a really simple principle, something that we can learn, something that we can see that Jesus did, that will help us to take what's true in us that we want to pass on to someone else? So just shout out for a minute, something that's true in your Christian life that we need to pass on to others as we disciple them. Prayer. Prayer. Love. Love, yeah, character issues like love. Mission and evangelistic witnessing. Faith, was that? Faith. Understanding the Bible. Listening to God. Patience. Honesty. Enthusiasm. Passion. Sorry, sure. Belief. Hope. So we've got lots of character things in there. We've got some competency things in there. I need to learn how to pray. I need to learn how to witness. I need to learn how to give. I need to learn how to be hospitable. I need to learn how to serve. I need to learn how to listen to God. That's a competency. Okay, so we could keep adding them up. You get the idea. So we've got a whole raft of different things, Okay. What do you do then to pass on what you've got to somebody else? Very simple, four steps that Jesus did. The first thing he said to his disciples, come follow me. And they literally followed him around and they watched everything that he did. So uh, you do, they, those you're discipling, watch. So for example, in your small group, You've been leading your small group for 785 years and the rest of the people have been watching. Okay, give yourself a massive tick. We're there. We're stage one. We're well off the block. So yeah, we're well on the way. After a while, Jesus' relationship with the disciples began to change. So, for example, at the feeding of the 5,000, you can find it in Mark. In fact, you can find it in Luke and you can find it in Matthew. Oh, and you can find it in John. So it's all there. Um, you see Jesus' relationship with the disciples beginning to change. He starts drawing them in to help. So, to give them a bit of a surprise, Jesus has been wandering around, healing people, doing all this stuff. It's late in the day. They haven't got enough food. And they come to Jesus and say, we haven't got enough food. And Jesus says, you feed them. <gasps> We've only been watching. We don't do any of this stuff. No, 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 it's, no, no, no. We've got no idea. And they panic. They've got no idea what to do. And Jesus begins to draw them in that they are part of all that God is doing. And you'll notice with the feeding of the 5,000, what did the disciples do? Anyone read that story? Anyone seen it on a flannel graph? They did. What, what's the very, absolutely, we'll come to that. What's the very first thing the disciples were asked to do? They did do that as well. First of all, what did Jesus say to them? Put, no, put all the crowd into groups. Into groups. Groups is not a new thing. We didn't make it up. The whole crowd put them into groups. Then they found the boy. Then Jesus said to them, I want you to distribute the food. And then Jesus said to them, I want you to collect up the remains. How many baskets were left over? 
12. Andy, 12 disciples, 12 baskets full left over. So, what's happening? Who's really doing it? Who really did the miracle? God, Jesus, yeah. So, Jesus was still, in a sense, doing it. But they helped. So, what is it? What is it that you want to impart in someone else? Honestly, if it's your quiet time, invite someone to share your quiet time for a week, two weeks, three weeks. Then ask them to help you in your quiet time. You can read the scripture today. You can pray this prayer today. You can think about what God might be saying today because you've watched me and you've been part of me doing it. You can help. Then the whole thing begins to move on and you get to around the middle of the Gospels and what does Jesus do? He sends them out. He says, hey, guys, you've been pretty good at helping, off and on. Now have a go. And he sends out the disciples, two by two, and they, for the first time, by themselves effectively, begin to do what Jesus had done. And they were amazed, weren't they? So would we be. <laughs> and the, 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 even the demons obey us. And Jesus says, this is amazing, but remember that the best thing, is not that the demons obey you, but your name's written in the book of life. Amen. So, what begins to happen is they do something and you or Jesus help. So, you just switch it around. That's what Jesus did. After a while of them helping, he said, why not you have a go and I'll still be here to help you. And then we accelerate on towards the end of the Gospels and at the very end of the Gospels, what does Jesus say? Go. Go, go, you go do what I have done with you. So they do. Who's watching? Well, he is. But actually, in the discipleship journey, someone else is watching. See what I did there? Gosh, this board is for short people. <laughs> and so, you get the 72 and the 120, and if that hadn't happened, we wouldn't have been here today. And so you can see how Jesus very deliberately, over a period of years, it didn't happen in a week, it could do with different things, of course, uh, but went very carefully and intentionally in terms of reproducing himself into those disciples. All of us here can do that because you're already doing something. You can all let people watch. The only reason you wouldn't want someone to watch is if you're ashamed of it, then you need to sort it out anyway. You can do, and, and you can all find ways of getting people to help. To be honest, that's quite a difficult stage. It's like the whole preaching thing, isn't it? It's much easier to do it yourself than to ask someone else to help and to help them in it. That's, you know, how many times do you say, it's quicker by myself? (laughs) They don't do it as well as me. No, and they never will unless you help them. They'll never be as quick as you unless you let them have a go just like you've had a go. You know, um, fortunately, there were churches up and down South Wales that let someone who was just 13, 14, 15 years of age go and preach week in, week out in their churches. Now, some churches wouldn't do that. 
But actually, some of what we've enjoyed and been part of is because other people let me have a go. And so we need to think about every single thing that we're doing. How can I get someone to help? You've got, I don't need any help. My nice Christian wall, I don't need any help. I'm, get out of my kitchen. Doesn't have to be a kitchen. Kitchen was metaphoric, can be a kitchen, but I don't need anybody. Help. Yes, you do need someone to help if you're going to follow Jesus. You need to ask someone to help you. The very first thing Jesus did, people to come and watch, people to come and help. And then the agony of letting someone else do what you've always done. Oh, it kills, doesn't it? And then when someone says, didn't they do a great job? No, they didn't. I would have done it better. No, they didn't. I wouldn't have done it like that. We have to break some of these these kind of... um, I don't know, human reactions that are in our hearts. That's what discipleship is all about. Maybe there's another thing that we could have written over all of this. Because what you notice if you read the Gospels is that there were lots of times when the disciples were together. Either they were at the end of the day and they would ask Jesus a question or they were walking along a road and Jesus would ask them a question. So in the ordinariness of life, they would all the time talk. And we need to do that. We need to be very open with people. I'd love you to help. In fact, I'd love you to end up down here on this journey. And we need to tell people when they helped us what went really well and 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 then just maybe what needs to be improved. Uh, We need to talk. We need to engage with people about it. And we also, I think, finally, do you think it's time to end? That's a difficult question, isn't it, for you to answer? You're not really sure, are you? Sounds like a squirrel, but I'm sure the answer is Jesus. We need to talk and engage. And the brilliance of this is that they're now doing, but after a while, they bring into what they're doing all of their strengths and all of their gifts. They might need to do it your way to start off, but eventually their own character flourishes And that's why a rabbi would expect, a rabbi's greatest honor would be for the disciple, probably going this way the way you're looking at it, isn't it? The disciple to surpass the rabbi. So in other words, a rabbi's disciples to become better rabbis than they'd ever been. See what I mean? Which is why Jesus would say, you'll do what I've been doing. In fact, you will do. I'm expecting you to surpass me. Because that's the expectation that the rabbi has of their disciples. And why would Jesus expect us to surpass him? Because the same Holy Spirit is in us. The same Holy Spirit. And so, hey, what have you got to reproduce? And what are you doing about reproducing it in someone else? If we did more of this and less of running the organization that we call church, we would grow a lot quicker. Now, that's a very simple yet very true statement, I think. That doesn't make it easy at all because keeping it all happening can be, for all of us, all time-consuming. But where we need the Spirit to be touching our lives and our minds is that 
If I do not pour what God's poured into me into others, we die. If you do not pour into others what God's poured into you, we die. The vital sign of life is that we're reproducing. And it's an amazing thing, isn't it? When you step back and you see how God's taken what was imperfect in you and through you planted it in somebody else and they've been able, as it were, to stand on your shoulders and, be, uh, and go further than you've ever gone. It's what we long for our children. It's what we long for the young people. It's what we long for everybody around us. So they'd stand on our shoulders and they'd go further and deeper in, in the kingdom of, of God. Let's pray.